Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, friends. Mm-hmm. It is officially the end of November. Uh, we got one more week of November. Yeah, but it's over halfway there. Guys, yeah. we're in the last bit of November. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to be dramatic about how far into the year we are. Yes. Where is time gone? Who's to say? But Christmas shopping, I think, has begun. Ugh. I mean... Black Friday sales are here. God. It's happening. Um, I just want to make one announcement. Ooh. There is a dance community conversation on artistic practice hosted by the Choreographers Network of Toronto, Tuesday, November 30th. It's on Zoom, 10 a.m. to 12. Um, And it's motivated by a desire to come together in dialogue about our needs as artists during a time of significant loss and disruption. Um, And the question is, what do you need to sustain and develop your creative practice process in order to feel vital as an artist right now? So that conversation should be really interesting. I I think that's just like such a bold wonderful question that a lot of us are feeling mentally right now right a lot of us are feeling like not motivated not sustained by our practice especially in the contemporary dance community or the dance community so i think it would be really awesome to see people there taking part in that conversation yeah we like to complain a lot and say what is wrong with the contemporary dance scene and the dance scene but yeah let's make an effort go out and help make change yeah, literally what I was just about to say. I was like, we can talk about all day what we need, but mm. nothing is actually going to change or nothing is actually going to happen if we just sit and complain and not totally be involved in the community. And it's like the Choreographers Network and it's mm. community groups that like are actually doing the work that need the support of artists in the community. Exactly. So um, again, November 30th on Zoom, Tuesday. Put it in your calendar. See you there. Show up. Show up without putting your camera on. Listen in your sweats. Yes. Type some questions if you want to be really uninvolved, but like, let's show up, you know? Yeah. Do it. Do it. We have such a beautiful conversation for you. Yeah. Megan Hamilton, musician, mom. It's also like a different conversation. It was so nice to talk to Megan about like, I mean, obviously neither of us are mothers that I know of. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't work the other way around? I don't think it works if you have a uterus. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, But just like a nice conversation. Um, She talks a lot about motherhood and it's nice. It's it's different. It is different. And we talked a lot about like just the questions you have for yourself, like raising kids. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to contemplate. So let's get going. Here we go. Hi, my name is Megan Hamilton. I am a musician and I'm also a speaking visibility and confidence coach for women and non-binary people. So she's like, you know, this is what my friend said about Santa and I, and she's asked me before and I've always been like, no, Santa is a hundred percent real. I don't know why X said that or whatever, but she I don't know what it was, but I really got the impression she wanted me to tell her the truth. And I kept saying, like, are you, we're walking the dog. I'm like, I'm not by myself. My husband is a morning radio show host. So he's out of the, like, he's not there. Like, I don't want to do this on my own. And I'm like, you know what, buddy, do you really want to, are you sure you want to talk about this? Meaning like, you don't. And she's like, (laughs) yes. And she's like, why, you know, is Santa real? do you and daddy give me the presents? And I was like, and trying to change a topic, which she caught on to, which she's never done before. Like, oh. I guess now that she's 10, she gets like tactics. <laughs> and so I said, I finally, you know, this is after like a half an hour. I'm texting Ben frantically, just going like, what am I, I, I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to have to tell her and, and you, you're not going to be here. And he's like, it's okay. Anyway, I let her know that, yes, it was, and I had this whole story. I was going to, like, explain that, yes, we put the presents under the tree, but, like, we're helpers for Santa and, like, this whole thing. So I said, yes, Dad and I put the presents under the tree, and it was a the bad mistake. It was oh, not no. the right thing to say. Uh, she was, like, screaming, no, we're, like, in the neighborhood. <laughs> like, outside. <laughs> 
And yeah, outside. We're like outside. And she's screaming, no, 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 which, you know, immediately my brain's like, I'm fitting two things, right? People are going to think I'm abusing my kid. And also like, I've just devastated her for the rest of her life. She's like, Christmas is never going to be the same. Oh my God. Why did you tell me? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you? I tried to tell you not to ask me. Like, I was like, what? Yeah. And I'm devastated. It was a terrible situation. And, um, yeah, so now, I guess later on that day or the next day, Ben picked her up from school and she had figured it all out, right? She's like, so dad, is there a tooth fairy? And he's like, um, well, no, because she, I, but then she told us later, like she had been grasping to the last slivers of hope, like maybe there's no Santa, but there's still a tooth fairy and don't worry, oh, oh, there's God. still the Easter bunny. And he... He's like, yeah, so I messed up there. And I was like, fuck, why are we so dumb? <laughs> oh. So, yeah. So I I sobbed, <laughs> like, for a few days. I, oh. I was really, really sad. He was sad. Everyone's sad. We're still keeping Santa, and we're still yeah. keeping the magic alive. And we've been trying to sort of, like, because that had been our idea the whole time was we're going to transition to this understanding that like beliefs are what you make them and that like you can believe in magic and also sort of know that it, that it may not be exactly what you think it is but it's really important to like feel into things that you really like and that you know the idea of Santa is still real and that's the magic and the magic is real and like he may not necessarily be coming into the house but he is fully responsible for why we why you get presents under the tree and stockings and stuff like you know it's a it's a high concept thing for a 10 year old to understand but at the same time you know if you bought Santa for 10 years I feel like you could maybe lean into this a little bit and we could all keep Christmas alive please <laughs> Also, there, I think that there is like a mentality where like, she'll like next year. And if you're just like, oh, yeah, we gotta like, get our stockings ready for Santa. She'll be like, mm -hmm. like, she'll just like, do that. She's gonna play thing. along for her parents. Of course, because I think, well, not even for the parents, just for like, the idea of like the holiday. I think that's like, mm -hmm. what we all kind of do, right? We play this like, happy family for like three days, or and then like, the day after Christmas, me and my sisters are like, you're still my sweater! Like, screaming at each other. <laughs> um, but, like, I feel like that's what I did as a kid. I, like, knew there wasn't, like, pretty, like, like probably around the same age. But I just, like, played into it for three or four years because my older sisters and, like, my parents, like, loved the idea that I didn't know. So it's just, like, I feel like maybe she'll just be like, yeah, let's go get this cookies ready for Santa, you know? Yeah, she already yeah. is. Like she's yeah. we're she's chosen a Santa <laughs> present. Um, like we'll be writing the letter and all of that stuff. And I like I'm sure when we get a bit closer to it, because right now Halloween is sort of taking mm -hmm. totally. the uh, taking the forefront. But I'm sure when we get a little closer, there may be just like you know some uh, growth adjustment period or something. But we we still plan to do everything as normal, and we're still gonna like say the words and hopefully that'll come up. I mean, I knew, I, I'm like you, I knew when I was six, mm -hmm. I asked my mom and she told me and I said to her recently, I was like, why did you, when I was six, why did you say yes? Yeah. And she's like, I just thought you wanted to know. And I'm like, oh. anyway, but I had a little brother. <laughs> and so we kept it like alive for him. And he never asked. And I think he maintains that he was like 14 when we figured it out. Bless his pure, pure heart. Oh no. <laughs> My brother was in no way pure. Like he was oh. a, like he was the bad kid. And I don't like I he I he's not a bad he's not bad, but like he did way the troublemaker. More stuff. Yeah. 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 So but maybe that was like I don't know. If he grew up too fast, maybe Santa was his way of staying like young. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should eventually get onto the art stuff, but like, I feel like there's also this like weird thing where like, there's some parents who like, don't, are just like, we, they don't want to like do the lying or like the, um, like the, there's like all this like weird, like, um, kind of 
talk about like Santa and like, well, it's like an old man coming into your house at night. Is that something that we should also like support our kids like believing in? and sitting on Santa's lap? So is like many a conversations whole... about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, Santa is the patriarchy. Is this what we're inviting into our house? Like, he, he <laughs> force you to sit on some old dude's lap? But we never did. Like, we always left it really. Um, there was even a period where she was nervous about Santa coming into the house, and so we would have. I, I don't even remember what we said. We were also very sleep deprived for <laughs> several years. Sleep well, but like it was something like. Um, I can't like maybe Santa just leaves them like comes in the window and leaves them and then we put them under the tree or like like he doesn't really I can't remember what the deal was but there was something about like it's okay he's not coming in oh I know what it was he he when I was growing up Santa would put stockings at the foot of our bed oh she did not like that she did not want Santa coming into her room at all so we have stockings downstairs and Santa was obviously totally fine with that and like we left him cookies and stuff but she didn't want him coming in she didn't want to sit on his lap for the first I don't know five years and she didn't have to for the first few years I actually sat on Santa's chair with her (laughs) Santa stood behind us when we got the picture and she was okay with that and then she wanted to and she made him a oh god she made him a present and like gave us like a mall Santa yeah wow and he was and she really believed that he was the real Santa (laughs) she made him a little keychain that's so cute and she gave it to him and he was like really excited to have it and Beth and I are just like back behind whatever the like gingerbread Santa village thing just like bawling our eyes out can't believe how you know lovely and magical this is mm-hmm. so yeah it hit us hard <laughs> <laughs> there's something like very lovely about like having like kids around for the holidays that just like have that innocence and like love it though and like tr- believe because like I don't know I like when we go home there's like so many families that like at our house and like there's just like kids everywhere and like there was a bit of time where we were like all grown up and there was no kids around before anyone had like babies and we were like, it's much better when there's kids because you get to be like, what's Santa bringing you? Like, so excited around that time. So it must be so nice. <laughs> but I also understand the heartbreak you're experiencing probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's still nice. And it's still going to be nice. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah, it adds a whole other element to the holidays and just like brings you back to that part of yourself that, you know, before... Um, before you've really figured out sort of what the world was about Mm -hmm. that just like lovely like believing in something as nice as like somebody who just wants to give kids presents and make them feel happy on a day every year you know Mm -hmm. anyway (laughs) of course what a wonderful story and like what a wonderful like mantra for life like just believe in this thing even though it might not be real or it might not be as you imagined it, you can still believe and have hope. Yes. Yeah. And that exactly. You're exactly right. And that's what I wanted to cultivate. And that's what we, you know, when we were talking about like, should we do this? Should we not do this? It feels like we're lying. And I was like, it doesn't actually feel like we're lying because it's just going to be a concept that we introduce the idea of making people happy of like of it being your your whole job is just making people happy right mm-hmm. like santa's whole job is just to bring like lovely things to children um because um, we didn't do like the good kid bad kid like like if you're bad you're not gonna oh, get yeah. stuff like, no you know and also, that like, and that's bad well exactly you know i feel like that's so detrimental like you just like you're placing so much judgment on behavior that subjective fucking normal probably for, <laughs> for young little kids, kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean there's a lot of really um when did santa start really like the victorian era i don't think they were particularly um good parents thoughtful about how <laughs> children were treated <laughs> right <laughs> if you go back and read the children's stories or right. um they're all like don't be bad or something something's gonna catch you you're gonna lose fingers and toes (laughs) or you won't eat or like whatever yeah I definitely use like we've been handing out Halloween candy at the studio 
And I've been like, well, if you're not a good listener, I don't know if you get help. <laughs> because like traumatizing children. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like that people got to learn to listen to people, I think. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I I think that I would never be like, oh, if you're a bad kid, you don't get candy. But like, please make sure if your listening ears aren't on today, I don't know if that means you get candy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's fair too. I mean, yeah, like I, I, I don't, I certainly think that rewarding kids when they're exhibiting bad behavior is just, it just lets them know there's no consequences, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you never, you never really know, I guess. There's lots of different things. And you never know when you're going to traumatize a kid because you have yeah. no idea like what they're, what's going on in their head when you tell them stuff. Yeah. You know, like she's come up with things. I've, I've said things where I'm like, oh, cool. Great. You have just fucked up your kid for the their entire rest of their life. Way to go, mom. Mm-hmm. And then, and she won't even remember it. And then like something else, like offhand, like completely benign thing that I think was like a nothing. She'll bring up four years later that she somehow remembers. And she's like, remember when you said this? So yeah. So now what we get is she's in the backseat of the car or something and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, well, it's not as bad as when you told me Santa wasn't real and ruined Christmas. (laughs) That's what we get now. (sighs) Oh. What a nightmare <laughs> and a joy. <laughs> but do you know what? There is like something so lovely because I mean, you, you facilitate like hard conversations for a living. And I mean, you are like extremely well-educated, extremely like you obviously put a lot of thought into what comes out of your mouth before you say it, but it, there is like something so lovely that like shows that like, not like nobody's perfect about that. Like no parent is perfect. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not in any way a good, like, model for parenting. I I mean, I don't, I th- I don't think I'm a bad parent necessarily. Um, I try. But, like, I, I also um, am a really sensitive person. I'm, I'm very emotional. And, you know, it's a lot of work to maintain, uh, to try and, like, stay chill when she's having mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, um, big emotional outburst she's very much like me in that regard like her emotions come fast and they come heavy um and I don't I don't do a good job what I do do a good job with is recognizing when I've made a mistake and bringing it up and talking about it and saying why it was a mistake and and that she's not responsible for my feelings like things like that Mm. which um I don't even know if that's like really hitting yet, but I know that at some point it'll land with her. And um, even like when she's older and she'll just remember how I framed things so that she has a model for what to do when you fuck up. Cause we all make mistakes all the time. Yep. And it's sometimes it's really hard for us to admit them, but I was like, this is, this is high stakes here. Like this kid needs to know that if, when I fuck up, I'm going to own up to it and like you know in in whatever way I can make amends for it um and so that's that's one way that I think I'm a I do a good job as a parent and I also you know like let her be herself and like dress how she wants to and and um um try to lead her down you know paths that are gonna be fulfilling to her and and let her know you know uh, like if well, there's so many old books that have terrible, <laughs> terrible concepts in them, like yeah. super racist, uh, super anti-women, like really terribly framing LGBTQ yeah. uh, issues. Um, and so when those things come up, we, we, we have big talks about that. But what's cool is that at this point, um, she knows right off the bat. She'll she'll be like, "Oh my gosh, mommy, I can't believe they said that." And I'm like, oh, "I know." <laughs> so then we have that conversation. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's hard though. It's not. It's hard. It's not easy being a parent. It's really messed up. Wow. <laughs> and everybody just wants. I mean, I don't know. Like, coming from like a small town and a small community, it's like we're talking about right now how like hard it is to be a parent and like how important that role is and like just people having kids all willy-nilly yeah (laughs) what's my mind (laughs) 
playing real fast and loose with the uh, the condoms or the projection. <laughs> but I feel like those kids are going to be really like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if we overthink it, right? Like, do oh, you want to be 10 and your mom's going, listen, mommy made a mistake. Let's talk about this for 20 <laughs> minutes. We'll talk about the jobs of parents and the jobs of kids. It's not your responsibility for mommy's emotion. Like, do you want to hear that when you're 10? You probably fucking don't. You probably yeah. just want your mom to be like, ah, go outside, leave me alone. And like, you go do your thing and you forget it. And not, right. I don't mean to insinuate that that's how rural families work. I feel like there are a I mean, lot of <laughs> very thoughtful, <laughs> lovely, um, you know, really progressive families in rural communities. I, I guess I'm just more thinking of like in bigger families where parents just simply don't have yeah. the kind yeah. of time, whereas we only have one child and we're just like, there are a thousand Daddy different ways to, to parent. <laughs> yeah. 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 And everybody's going to do it differently. And most kids are going to be fine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've read a lot of articles that say it doesn't matter. Literally, the only thing you need to do is keep them safe and keep them fed. <laughs> and like the rest of it has so much less impact than you actually think it's going to. Mm. Um, yeah. That's like an interesting discussion for like nature versus nurture. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, yeah, I think about all of that a lot. We talked about that a lot when I was growing up. Like my mom thought it was nature. My, no, my mom thought it was nurture. My dad really thought a lot of it was nature. Um, and like they, we would have family discussions about that. Are you from um, a big family or are you from a, are you the only no, you, I'm from a brother. Me and my brother. Yeah, yeah, that's it. My dad grew up um on a farm with two brothers and one sister. And my mom uh was was the youngest of three kids. So they had bigger families than us, but um yeah, I mean we had those kinds of discussions. I just never like they come out with stuff. They come out of the womb with things and you're just like, "Oh, they have they have personalities. They have, um, yeah, it's a trip. And I didn't know if I was going to do it because I was late having a child. I was thirty seven, and um, I thought, you know, we didn't really know what was going to happen, and we were fine no matter what. Like I had always said to myself, if I have a child, that'll be great. If I don't. I think that's going to be great as well. I mean, I, I sort of wanted to have the experience. Like I just wanted to like go through it and mm-hmm. have that like experience where my body does like maybe biologically what it could do. Um, but I had also just promised myself that no matter what, it was going to be okay. Um, so I wasn't like a, you know, dreaming of having kids um, all my life kind of a person. Uh yeah. And it's just never what you think it's going to be. It's is anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It isn't. It absolutely yeah. isn't. Um, as an artist, however, I will say that, you know, and I know that's more the jam of this show. <laughs> that was like really. <laughs> no was, I loved, honestly, <laughs> I, I don't think we get like an opportunity to talk to parents in the arts field that often. So like, I'm, it's like so interesting to hear your experience. So don't yeah. About that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was a really, that was very, very difficult for me. So, you know, I've worn a lot of hats in the arts community and for the last 16 or 17 years, I've been a musician and, um, you know, before I had a kid, I was, and even before I got into um, this relationship that I've been in with my husband now for 13 years, I was really independent and I just did what I wanted. And I, um, I did like all kinds of things. I ran an art space in downtown Toronto that like I built from the ground up. Um, I wrote plays, I produced plays, I produced films. I was an actor Um, so, and, and like I would put on shows every month, like I did a lot of things and then I toured across the country and I could just take off and do what I wanted to do. And I've really enjoyed that. 
And that like completely changed when I had a child because A, I'm like really now I feel, you know, very financially responsible um, for this little person to make sure that they are set up properly. Because I would just like, I'd make a record and I, you know, like I put it on my credit card or whatever was happening. Like, you know, you just, and now there's just like different things to think about. Um, and that, and like, it's really intense to have a baby and care for a baby. You can't do anything else. Like I've seen a few people be able to like, if they're in sort of like more high profile bands, be able to sort of manage it where they're like touring with their babies and stuff. I don't know. That's not that that sort of like, that was never going to be, I just wasn't going to be able to do it. But also like my kid didn't sleep. So that was a whole other thing. Like for the first 15 months, she didn't sleep through the night. Like not once. Yeah. And when I say she didn't sleep through the night, I mean that most nights she'd wake up every two hours. Wow. And did you guys take turns or was it really, was it you at that point? We did near the, we did like in the end, but I was, um, I was breastfeeding. And so like that was, she was hungry and there's like only one of us can do that job. And you know, you're not, there's like so many rules and that, that I found really difficult, like, Mm. um, like around bottles and around, uh, you know, like latching and stuff. And you're supposed to wait a certain amount of time and don't give them a soother because they'll mistake it for a nipple. And like, there was just so many, and she didn't really eat enough at first. And so we had to stay a little bit extra in the hospital. So then I felt like this like intense, like need to just feed her whenever she needed to be fed. And, um, and then there was like this whole idea of, uh, like there's something called sleep training. I don't know how like familiar you all yeah. you are with like the early stages of having a kid, but, uh, <laughs> I weirdly do know a lot. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, don't know, but just because of like people around me having babies, but like I don't know. Right. Yeah. I hadn't really had I'd had a couple of friends who had babies, but to be completely honest, I had no fucking idea what was going on with them at the time. And because I was I was playing shows till one in the morning, like I was just in my own world. Mm. Um and they just gapped out because they were new parents. I didn't really understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. anyway and then my so my brother had had a baby before um before we did and and their child uh she slept through the night like at, i don't know week five or something like that so then <laughs> i was thinking oh well genetically we're probably good yeah. anyway it was like that's how it works <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's how it works yeah i think it's definitely a genetic thing um but eventually after a year i went back to work and there was one night, it was like midnight, I think this is around 15 months. So I'd been back at work for three months managing this like un, 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 I don't even know the word. Like it was, I was so tired all the time. All I thought about was sleep because I hadn't slept for a year. Then I went back to work and then wasn't sleeping still. And I went to go, um, feed her in the night because at that point like it was just like whatever we'll get her back to sleep and I could feel myself having like a panic attack and um, sometimes when I have extreme panic attacks I faint and I could feel myself about to faint and I'm holding her right and I'm like oh this is bad and thankfully we had a monitor at the time so I was just like yelling at Ben I was like Ben Ben get in get in I'm gonna faint and he came just in the nick of time like I managed to hang on he grabbed her I was sitting, but I mean, she probably just would have rolled. She was, I don't know. She was over a year at that point, but still. Um, and I passed out. And then it was like, okay, we got to figure something out. Cause I had also really, there, there's like sleep training and we, and I read all this stuff about how letting kids cry, um, you know, fucks with their brain and makes them feel like nobody wants to come for them. And like, so, you know, there's this, 
actually what is the thing that saved us, which is this Ferber method of sleep training, which is where you let them gently know that you're still there, but that they have to go to sleep. And so, mm-hmm. um, so we tried that and eventually it worked and, uh, and that sort of saved us. But up until that point, yeah, I don't think I'd had a full night's sleep for, for a long time. And that's, and so like, there was no songwriting. There was no, no like jamming on guitar while the baby naps or like writing songs, you know, for the, for whatever time. There was no time. There was nothing. I had not like, I was literally like a feeding machine and, um, that's not totally true. It it wasn't, I mean, there's also wonderful moments, but there was no like art. Right. There was nothing that was like, like I had no capacity. And then it took me two or three years to recover physically from that. Like, Mm -hmm. because not sleeping fucks with your chemicals in your brain. Yeah. It makes you a crazy person. Like you like can't even emote properly, you know? No, it was, it was a lot of crying. There was a lot of like arguing over how to handle it from two Mm -hmm. people who couldn't even like concentrate. There's a few times when I was driving and I was like, oh, not like I fell asleep, but I was like, I just gapped out for 10 minutes. I don't remember yeah. driving right. this as like, I think maybe it's, you know, I shouldn't be driving. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot of, there's a lot of that. And uh, then, yeah. And then finally I started writing again. I got a space. I found a space here in Kingston and I forced myself on Sunday evenings when all the, no, none of the other bands wanted to practice on Sunday afternoons and evenings because they were um, probably dealing with hangovers. And I was like, perfect. So we, I shared this jam space with a bunch of people and I would go in there and like Sunday afternoons were my time to go and write music and um, practice guitar. And that's how I got back into um, writing and playing music. How long was that after you had your baby? How long did it take you to get back there? She might have been like two or three. Um, wow. So it was a it was a while, but it, but like it's all a blur because it it really was a fucked up time and, and a wonderful time, like an incredible time. Like I also you know like it was it's it is it is such a privilege to like watch a human being develop and like learn things for the first time and like walk and you know have all of these first moments like you like it's it's really like there's nothing like it it's 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 worth every single thing um but like coming back and sort of you can see why a lot of people who are artists ahead of time maybe like choose something a little less difficult after they have children because it is so hard to try and keep up being creative and I'm going to be completely honest here. It's for the moms because a lot of dads get totally. right back into it Yeah, because the moms are there doing like the, the stuff. And for the first little while, if you choose to breastfeed, like you, that's like you have to because you're, oh my God. I remember our first concert, <laughs> we were, we had tickets to Chad Van Galen, who's one of my favorite musicians. And I think, I don't know, we're like three or four months into parenthood at this point. And my mother-in-law was watching uh, Le Bebe. And just speaking of breastfeeding, we get to the concert and I was like, oh, because this is our first sort of like night out, I think. I, it's like I said, I can't remember. I was like 70% myself most of the time. So like you have to deal with breasts that are used to like feeding kid at a certain time, right? Otherwise they literally get like rocks. Like it is, it, it, oh. <laughs> you can't, Yes, it's so hard to, um, to imagine it if it, unless it's happening to you and it hurts. And it's also like, like it's either you're going to have to go deal with it or it's going to deal with it itself. And you're going to be sitting there in a concert with like like a soaked shirt. So I had to go to the bathroom and I, I prepared, um, like I brought like a little thing to like, and I was like in the bathroom, like self extracting milk from my boobs. And I'm like, but it, I'm still cool. Cause I'm at a rock show. <laughs> like I've still got it. Like, it's okay. <laughs> like I just like, dealing with whatever. Um, yeah. So that's another thing about like going on the road. Uh, 
if you're a new mom, like you've got like potential like leaky boobs happening at any given yeah. point, which, you know, if you're on stage. Oh man. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm assuming they would just put like a, some sort of bra on you that would like, like pad in it so that it wouldn't happen or like find some sort of like they'd put something there if you were or you like, have to like pump that's immediately so before cute. you go on stage it's, isn't that what would happen that's, that's not so how it cute. works <laughs> i was like there's no pad that can step. deal with how much <laughs> no it's a lot it's a lot oh, you can okay. you can either are like little pads so like everybody's boobs are different but um, there are little pads you can put in and you wash them and like if you get like a little bit of a leak it'll handle it but not yeah. like if you're, if your boobs just like I'm done I've got it I've got to get this out of here like you oh. that would be but yeah you're right Corinne like you can you can do a pump ahead of time um yeah you can do that uh but you have to be able to sit for me like I have to be able to sit quietly like you have to plug it in yeah um this is not like and there's like self there's self ones you can do they didn't really work very well for me um yeah yeah, there's I watched like so many extra oh, sorry. steps. Sorry, Rainy. It's just like so many extra steps for like a woman if she wants to be a mom and do anything that a man wants to do. Like, yes. This <laughs> makes me like a little bit angry. And, you know, the grant system for um, popular music in Canada like sucks. I come from a world where I had like almost a hundred percent success rate in any grant that I applied for, for theater and um, performance. But with music in Ontario, you have factor, you have the OAC that's like, we're sort of eligible for, but even then like, that's it. And then if you're in Toronto, there was like, I think at the time there was maybe one music grant. Um, TAFC, right? Like the Toronto. The, the Toronto Arts Council. Yeah, yeah. But I can't remember what the grant was or if I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, there's there's actually a little bit more available now, but Factor was the main grant body and we've heard so many bad things about Factor by the well, way. Well, and I and I have like I have a very uh volatile relationship with Factor, but you had to show your like sales and concerts for a year like right? So if you're a new mom taking a year off to attend for your baby, at the time, there was nothing in place. And like, I made a big fuss. And I think that's helped. I, I don't think I was responsible for the overhaul of factor. But I remember talking to um, the person who was helping me. And I was like, this is massively fucked. Yeah, I have not been able to play a show like I physically couldn't have been able to because I was I couldn't I wasn't sleeping and was responsible for like keeping a small child. And there's nothing like I can't show you all of the body of work and the concerts and the tours that I've done before this. And she's like, no, it's really messed up. And I'm like, and so now I can't even get any like seed money to start over and like to start things. And she was like, yes, you're right. And I was like, what yeah. an extra barrier. Totally. Ugh. And so it's not like that anymore. And in fact, now like Factor even has money available for like nannies so that when you go on the road, they oh. will look after your kids. Um, but these are for bands that are very established that like tour in buses that bring you know, a lot of annual revenue. These are not for like indie musicians who right. are, you know, playing small clubs and bars across Canada. Um, and that sucks because there's yeah. not like, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard anyway. And then on top of that, it's just like, it almost is impossible <clears throat> unless you're really dedicated and um, just really want it, which, you know, like, or it's all but doesn't everybody really want is. it i mean grant writing is just terrible yes it's a terrible part of the job hard. that is for some that nobody tells you how much of the part of the job it is it's true i always i'm gonna say this i i was always quite good at grant writing and what i liked about it was it forced me to really think about my project and to um dig into the pieces that if left to my own devices, I might've just been like, let's see what happens. <laughs> right. Like it made me, uh, it made me really 
dig into that stuff aside from all of the irritating. I don't. One of the OAC music grants has a question that is literally, um, why are you? Why are you? Why are you a musician or why are you an artist? It's like, who? How do you answer that? That feels know. like a question that would be asked in first year university. <laughs> it feels like. Oh. It feels like a question that an artist wouldn't have said. And so who's no. writing, you know, who's writing the questions for these grants? But that's also like one of the problems that I find with all of these, like, when you submit a grant, it's like a jury of your peers. Yeah. But like, is it though, if those are the kind of questions that are being asked? Because. Well, I don't think those are the people writing the questions. No, but I also, fair. yeah, the peers that they pick often, um. I remember, oh man, I got rejected. I mean, in general, so what classifies once. a peer to be a part, it's probably that they've already gotten a grant. <laughs> so like there's immediately like, I feel like often the people that are can... on the committee are people that have already received grants in the past, right? I think for the Toronto Arts Council, you can just apply to be a peer and read people's yeah. grants. Yeah, there's like, there's prerequisites and every, every arts council is different. So I've served on the jury here in Kingston uh, a couple of times uh, for grants that I would never, I, I wouldn't, they wouldn't even be available to me. Like it's not like it's mm-hmm. an operating arts organization grant. And then there's, there was another one project grants, but for in Kingston, you have to be part of a group in order to apply for, um, funding from the arts council. Um, and, and everything, and, but every place is different. Yeah. Like you have to have some basic understanding. I think of the arts, um, but it's a it's a mixed bag, mm-hmm. which I don't even mind that. Um, but the questions sometimes are just so they're convoluted and they're more difficult than they need to be. And they want you to fit into a certain box that like, you know, you know, like you, you may not fit into. And so you, then you have to like shift and switch and. Yeah. Um. I've literally never what? written a successful grant, so really, also, never. But I also haven't tried in like four years. I kind of like gave up. I was like, well, I don't know, I know where I like, fit. You know, it's so much work. Yeah, and it really is. It really is. You are crestfallen when you don't get the funding. The good thing is, usually, it's like four months later, and you're sort of like, sort oh, of over it. About it. <laughs> but if you're, but if you're really counting on it, and you don't get it. It is, it is very difficult. Um, but yeah, I got rejected really badly from a factor, uh, grant application once like, so, like, and like I was working with, <laughs> like I did my demos professionally with, um, Jim Bryson, who's, I made my last couple of records with him and he's like a well-known Canadian like music person. <laughs> And like, I've, you know, I think that the one, the, the strength that I've always had is my song. Like they tore everything to bits. And I was like, oh, wow. This, and this was like the first thing after, you know, having a kid. And, and it's just like, like oh, cool, fuck cool, cool. all y'all. <laughs> yeah. And of- so, yeah, Corinne, I just didn't even want to like, I don't okay. even think I've looked at my factor overview for I don't know five or six years because I just it's just not I just fuck it no I like what kind of like feet I didn't know do you need feedback on all grants I feel like I've only just gotten like a no no not like this project is terrible you can call you can it's all over the place yeah yeah you sometimes you can and sometimes you can't like it it totally depends on the grant usually somewhere in the application they'll let you know or if you have a grants officer that you're working with you can ask mm-hmm. ahead of time i always think it's a great idea to get the feedback even if of it's course. like not only terrible but also like not constructive um because i always think that if somebody is so far off from getting it for getting me then um then I feel a little less bad right I don't know how to explain that like if I'm not going to be your kind of music anyway you're not gonna want to fund me you're going to want to fund 
uh, I don't know, like whatever Canadian, Celine Dion, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> but if that's the jury, right? If that, if, right. It, if it's a jury that loves music like Celine Dion and, um, like whoever is like popular in Canada, that's oh. going to be, they're not going to want to pick you. And then you right. just, I just like, it just makes me feel less, um, like I'm still mad about it, but I'm not, I'm like, oh, well that was, it was just never going to happen. I don't know. Right. But wasn't that an issue like last year when Grimes got like a huge Canada council grant? Is <laughs> yeah. that what happened? Do you remember this? Like married to, e- or I guess ex-wife of Elon Musk, who's like one of the richest people in the world. Yeah. It, yeah like yeah. he got a grant. That is the other problem with Factor to a huge degree is I'm out there competing with fucking Grimes. <laughs> Grimes. Who has people like, working for her, writing her grants, booking her shows, doing everything. She just fucking yeah. shows up. Yeah. yeah. Grimes is likely not writing her own grants. I don't know that for sure. Um, maybe we could call her and ask her, <laughs> but I don't think she's writing her own grants. Um, and, and is the case for most of the people who have successful factor grants because yeah. their management, I, I don't want <laughs> to, this is what we've I'm not going to make others. you delete this, but I also like, I feel like I want to, I don't want to totally slam the Canadian music industry. No, I it works. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Okay, There's some silly decisions that get made. Yeah. Is what and we can silly, say. silly, silly yeah. decisions. And, it's and just who like, are we to say? I mean, we're not the people in the we're not the people in the rooms. So maybe there are decisions and maybe there are things that are happening behind the scenes that we don't understand. But sometimes well, I've been in some of the rooms and I'm like very, yeah, questionable. I'm I'm very, very like when I'm on a grant jury, I'm, I want to talk it out. Like I want to look at every single angle. I want to point out the positives. And then so that when we do have feedback to give to the artist, they can understand like, this is not based on the quality of your work. It's based on whether or not you've shown that you're able to execute, you know, and handle $10,000. Cause like, that's the other thing. Not everybody can handle $10,000. And so you have to sort of, that's part of like what a grant application is about. Are you going to be able to successfully see your project from start to finish? Yes, you're a brilliant artist. Absolutely. But do you also have the capacity to handle all of the other stuff that goes along with, you know, putting on a, an incredible art show? Right. And that's, yeah, that's what a lot of, I think, uh, grant stuff is about right i don't know though sometimes i've seen people who've gotten grants that like what they do with the money you're like (laughs) i don't like they've been successful in grants for other shows and stuff but they get grant funding for just like anything they fucking make and the grant money to me isn't going to great use sometimes you know sometimes it feels like it was a bit of a throw together and yeah and it's the same people that consistently are getting those yeah. Grants. You so need I'm, the body of the work to get the money, but you can't do the body of work without the money. Yeah. It's the, yeah, that's the, that's the, I don't even remember what we call that. The cart before the horse, the egg before the chicken. The Murphy's law. Mm-hmm. What'd you say? Egg before the chicken, chicken before the egg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it can be very frustrating. But the good news is that every everybody experiences this because yes. like everybody um, from high level, uh, what we consider very successful uh, artists to um, people who are just starting out, like people get rejected mm-hmm. still, always for the rest yeah. of your life. That's what you choose when you're, <laughs> you're going to be an artist. And so if you're, you know, that is the trick. And I actually just had this conversation yesterday in a podcast that I run. Um, I was speaking with another public speaking coach who's out of LA and he came up through theater and stuff like I did. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how one of the biggest things you have to learn as an artist is how to handle rejection and how to not let it infect how you feel about your work, Mm -hmm. but to look at it, you know, constructively or critically, um, but not, not to let that like, you know, um, douse your flame or, or like 
take away the the joy that you feel from creation. Totally. How do you coach people in figuring that out or how to take rejection critically and constructively? Well, you know, it's sort of my coaching practice has developed into this interesting holistic thing where I started incorporating something called shadow work into my coaching uh, last year. And that was after I had started experimenting with it uh, personally. And so I'll tell you how I uh, deal with shadow work. When I feel something coming up that I need to um, address, so like an icky feeling about myself or like an old memory that brings up um, some shame or if I've been behaving badly and I'm trying to figure it out, I see that as shadow work. So the stuff that we would normally like shove aside that we don't want people to know about, that we pretend isn't there, it has to it has to see the light in order for us to like fully uh, lean into who we are. Mm-hmm. And so I use a combination of pulling tarot cards and journaling, sort of like morning pages, to really like I use the cards to trigger starting points like um, springboards for writing out everything that comes to mind when I think about um, like a painful memory or a bad feeling or, or shame or whatever. So let's say, okay, so this is a great, a great example. Um, I was rejected for a grant <laughs> a few months ago and it brought up like a tsunami of stuff that I was not expecting. This was like a a specific pandemic related arts, uh, like emergency grant for artists Mm -hmm. in Kingston. And I I was rejected and like, I I really thought I was going to get it. And I just, I was like, it brought up, like it went back to theater and like getting rejected for stuff like a long time ago. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize this was all still inside of me. And so what I did was this, and this is what I do. I'll pull cards and I'll take a look at them and they will sort of like, I'll have like a, uh, like a, uh, synergistic creative exchange between the symbols in the cards and the storylines of the cards that trigger looking at whatever is painful in a new way. And then I just journal it all out for like however long it takes and I usually have a really um, cathartic realization about where it's coming from. And usually it goes back to old pain that needs to be um, comforted, basically. Like it, it all goes back to me uh, feeling some pain at some point in my life and not giving myself the compassion that I needed to. So now I give it to myself now. And then that like old stuff doesn't have to live in the shadow anymore. It can it can exist as part of me instead of um, trying to like shove it down. And so that was like a huge revelatory thing for me. And I've done everything. Like I've done therapy. I've done different kinds of therapy. I've taken uh, antidepressants before. Like I've done lots of work. But for whatever reason, this one, this shadow work is is sort of my jam right now. And it's, it's been really helpful. And so I was, I had a client and, um, she was just struggling with something and just feeling like not worthy. And I was like, Oh, well, let's take a look at that. And so, and I started sort of like unconsciously doing shadow work with her and asking her questions, not bringing in the tarot stuff. Cause that's, um, uh, that's not something I generally do with clients. Um, And then she had this like massive realization that I can't remember what it is now, but let's say like her, like her grade three teacher said to her, like, you're too quiet. You got to speak up. And ever since then, she's just always assumed that she had like a low mousy voice. And then I was like, holy shit. This is, this is where a lot of women's difficulty comes from in terms of speaking up and not just like, you know, talking at a conference, but like speaking in a group of your peers or, um, 
asking for a bank loan or, you know, um, standing up for yourself or standing up for somebody else. Like all of these things that can, can traditionally be difficult uh, for, for um, women and historically oppressed communities. Um, so that is often how I will support people through speaking coaching is we actually have to take a look at like some of, you know, some of your psyche and, and I'm very clear and I, I'll, I'll make sure to say this here too. Like I'm not a therapist. I totally believe in therapy. I think it's really amazing. And this is not a substitute for therapy. And if anything comes up that people can't handle, like you have to really commit to ahead of time to, to, um, seeing a therapist. Uh, but when you start to really peel back the layers on a lot of the mucky stuff that lives in our subconscious, what ends up happening as a byproduct is you start to feel more into yourself. You feel more like who you are, like you understand who you are. You actually, you know, finally see yourself instead of the, you know, like the sections of yourself that you were hiding. And then getting up in front of people is not as difficult because you're not hiding like a whole bunch of yourself hoping that nobody will find out, right? Uh, and it's incredible. And it's and that is like, like has long-term positive effects. That's not just like, and I, and I, and I have a full gamut of training that I do, right? There's like, I teach you how to uh, get into your body. I teach you how to use your voice. I teach you how to breathe. And then I teach you how to mark up your text so that you can read and deliver to an audience uh, effectively and like make eye contact and communicate. Mm -hmm. And all of that is awesome. And also for some people, there's like some really deep stuff that affects their ability to be able to speak in all of the ways that we've talked about. And the shadow work is monumentally effective. So interesting. Um, did you find that your background in theater and then in music was like, this was a natural progression for you? A hundred percent. So the way it all started was I was working at um, a law school in a university and the students were doing something called moot competitions where they had to pretend to be lawyers and like um, plead cases. And I said sort of, hap you know, off offhand, like, oh, well, who's coaching their performances? And they were like, oh, nobody. <laughs> and I said, oh, I would love to try to do that. Because at this point, you know, I was a classically trained actor. I'd been on stages for what, however many years. I had a lot of experience and training that I thought might be cool to translate to uh, these students. And so they let me, um, like they paid me, like I was like, you have to pay me. This is not just going to be part of my job because I was doing admin <laughs> stuff at the time. And um, good for you. And then I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I asked for $50 an hour, which at the time felt so bananas because coming from the art world, and this is a really big thing, right? The money mindset stuff coming from the art world. Mm -hmm. Um, and other people were like, that is not enough. What is wrong with you? Like, you can't, that's not. And I was like, what? $50 an hour. And I know for a lot of artists, that is a lot of money. And it is a lot of money. $50 is not like something you're just going to like, I don't know, check into the garbage. Um, but so that's where I started. And then a few years later, I was like, I really enjoy this. I want to start working with people who are not law students. And so I put it out there and I started seeing clients one-on-one. -on -one. And then I slowly had to like increase my prices. I think that I got like, then I was doing like $75 sessions. And then, um, and so all of that was inner work too, right? Like how I'm a fraud, like how can I possibly charge this? And I'm charging way more than $75 a session now. And feel great about it because I know that I am bringing, like, I've been doing this now for eight or nine years. My training, my experience, like, all of it. And because I also see that, like, this changes people's lives, 
Mm-hmm. I've like leaned into that, but that part was really hard too. And I don't know if you all ever talk about this on your show, but oh, we got to work with our artists to help understand how to lean into your value and your worth. And like, and there's so much weird stuff in the communities about, you know, oh, you're charging that much. Like, and I remember that. And there was like so much weird guilt that people put on each other. You know, if you got a big grant, like suddenly, you know, I don't know, people think you're rich and you're just like, no, this is all going to other people. Like, it's not, I don't even get paid for this. Um, I don't know. Do you all find that the the money stuff is really weird? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a conversation that we try to have often. Like, how did you fund this project? Where did that money come from? Did you pay yourself? Um, But it's still like difficult and hard. Right. And I think as like younger people, like I wouldn't call us emerging, Rainy, like we're 30. Right. Are we still emerging? I think I feel like I was, I've always been emerging and I'm now 47. (laughs) I can still apply for emerging grants and I'm like, good. Cause I don't want to be competing with, I don't know, Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But there's like so much, I also like wonder, this is something I wonder often is like, is our like conversation and our ability to talk about money like rooted in like very old societal ways of thinking about money or like scarcity yes. mentality? Yes. It's also rooted in very old ways of thinking about art because traditionally mm. pe- like it's not like in the 15th century, nobody had like aspirations to be an artist. You Like if you, if you showed any kind of uh, talent, you were sent to, um, you know, a school and then you had like somebody who was, had tons of money who was like sponsoring you, right? They were, I can't remember what the word is, uh, cause I'm really bad with coming up with words, but they were, oh, patron, you would have a patron and that's how like Michelangelo was able to do art. That's how like all of, you know, the Medici family, I don't know, they funded a lot of artists and, but like nobody could just like be a musician there was no that's just not how it worked Mm -hmm. and then you know musicians going to a music show has been five bucks for like 40 fucking years like (laughs) right (laughs) yeah bands have been getting paid a hundred dollars an hour since the 70s and in the 70s you could actually like live on that and in the nows like (laughs) You have to have seven part-time jobs to be able to do your, um, to make your art and the scarcity, the pay what you can shows where people are like, here's a dollar and they'll spend like $80 on beer. You know, it's, it's, it's how we value art. But I think that there's a lot of weird stuff also between artists and part of it is because we all know that we do it anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah totally but i don't think like the cfo of a major bank in canada is going to do it anyway he's not going to just show up for work because he likes it he was really (laughs) into math (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah i don't even know if you do math at that level like you just like a figurehead you just delegate everything to tell people yeah yeah quite frankly yeah um Yeah, there's a lot of money, money mindset things. And then there's like extreme guilt. I um, I used to work with a woman um, who like ab- 100% worked, has worked 60 hour work weeks since I was working with her and she wasn't making like very much money back then, but has always been really good with her money. And now she's like very high profile and makes a lot of money. And feels like intense guilt. We just had this conversation recently. She feels intense guilt about it because, you know, people who are in her age group who are still like, let's say, making art are still, you know, making, having the $5 music shows because people refuse to pay more. And it's just, there's no other industry, I think, that, that, um, that has the same weird shit around money. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. No. 
or like depends enough on like grant money. <laughs> like our industry depends so much on grant money, which is like always been, especially in Canada, I found has always been like a weird issue with me. Whereas in the States, it feels like there's not as much dependent on funding from the government. because they don't have funding from the government in the States. So they yeah, have so to they figure like out learn how, to, do how it. to get like sponsors or patrons, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a really it's it's that that's a whole other conversation. The yeah. grant industry in Canada and um how artists have to rely on funding. But it's also built into the program, right? Like you have to be not for profit. Mhm. Yeah. Totally. And that yeah, it just it's 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 uh there's a there's a lot of layers. Of course. Yeah. yeah. A lot of complicated layers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are running out of time, <laughs> so we do have to ask you, is being an artist fucking killing you? <laughs> um, it has several times and I'll, almost literally, um, there have been absolutely dark times and I think the benefit of being 47 is knowing that those dark times change Mm -hmm. and just hanging on like I've had times in my life when I lived in Toronto where I had to like I had to walk to work which was an hour away because I didn't have two dollars which was what it cost at the time to take the TTC um or like my 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 I had twenty dollars for a week Like that happened lots of times where I'd have $20 and I'd have to figure out, okay, well, I guess I'm eating a lot of brown rice and lentils. Um, I guess I can take the bus on the rainy days or, you know, like whatever it was. Yeah. That shit is like demoralizing. It's exhausting. Um, it is very frustrating and it's and it's just it it really messes with you um but then things turn around and and um so yeah no it's not not now but it 100 percent has a couple of times like really really uh got me to darkness Well, thank you so much for being here. On that note, hey. <laughs> uh. the good news is that it gets better. Like, and you all know this, too. like we've all, like, it's just, it's part of it. I think it's part of being a human too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, if people wanted to find you, where would they find you? Um, for music stuff, uh, my band camp, which is my name, Megan Hamilton, Megan spelled M-E-G-A-N. Uh, well, and you can stream it, all my stuff on all the platforms. And um, for the coaching, it's UBU Skills. So letters UBUSkills.com. And I'm on uh, social media as well as UBU Skills. Amazing. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, this conversation. If, oh, thank you. If you like this episode, if you have questions, let us know below. DM us, send us messages on all the platforms. We are everywhere. Thank you so much. And we will see you soon. See you soon.